This is episode number 12 with Diana Hernandez. Welcome to The Marriage Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Price, international marriage interventionist and best-selling co-author of Success Breakthroughs. On this show, I provide innovative solutions for marital success by focusing on personal development and relationship transformation. Every week, I'll be talking with thought leaders from around the world and will be providing your weekly dose of wisdom so you can catapult yourselves to marital success and true life fulfillment. I ask you to love one another, encourage and support each other, and live with passion. Are you ready? Here we go. Hey everyone, I am so pumped to bring this next guest to you today on the show. She is a personal friend of mine that I met last year. Uh, She has a beautiful heart, beautiful soul, and I absolutely love the work that she's doing in the world. Diana Hernandez is an international grief coach, helping others process and springboard from grief. Diana became a grief coach after recovering from the experience of extreme loss in her own life. In addition to working with clients, Diana hosts support groups and grief dinners to create community and support among fellow grievers. Diana, welcome to The Marriage Show. Thank you so much, Jennifer. I am so excited to be on the show with you. I love what you're doing. I know that you and I have very similar missions aligned and are here to really help people empowered and become their better selves. And you do it through marriage. I do it through grief. I'm just so thrilled to be here on the show with you. Oh, well, we are honored to have you. It's kind of odd for me right now to be feeling so much excitement and joy and happiness, (laughs) you know, talking about a subject that isn't, you know, uh, grief. It's hard. It's depressing. It's saddening. It can be crippling. So it's, it's kind of odd for me to be feeling so excited to have this conversation with you. But I really am because there's so many people in this world that are grieving for whatever reason. They don't, they don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. They don't see a way out. They don't know what they can do to help themselves. And that's where you come in. And so I feel so excited to have you here today and very honored. Before we dive in, can you please tell us what is love to you? Well, I view it as two things, loving yourself truly knowing who you are, what drives you, what gets you excited from a heart perspective, not what you are supposed to do, but truly just knowing who you are and loving yourself unconditionally without judgment. And love in a relationship to me is to love the other person just as much unconditionally and without judgment, not expecting anything, but just truly wanting the best for them. And likewise, they want the best for you. And together, you guys make a magical couple that can do anything you set your mind to. Ah, so tell us what led you to becoming a grief coach. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought up the excitement because I am very excited. Probably the one in a million that gets excited to talk about grief. I think it's such an important subject that we as a society really open up. And part of that for me of why I get excited, but more importantly to your question of what led me to be a 
grief coach is really just started with my own personal experience. I live in California and I was rocking and rolling post my college career in corporate America doing pretty good job, you know, having a great time doing the things, check a box that you learn in college, etc. And I got a phone call from my sister, and this is now seven years ago, telling me, and I'm the youngest of four, that one sister was unexpectedly diagnosed with stage four gastritic cancer. And it was such a shock and a blow to our family. We are four sisters eight years apart between the oldest and the youngest. And we we just could not believe that cancer had hit our family. So my sister, Karen, died 11 months later after diagnosed with cancer. And it was, it was really rough. It was hard for us as a family to see somebody we loved and care about so deeply to see her go through that. And we just were shocked. Before that, my great grandmother was the last person that had passed in my family. And she was 105. So it just was such a shock. And I would like to say that that was my first encounter with grief, but it really wasn't. Unfortunately, 15 months later, my other sister, Raquel, committed suicide. And I still like take a deep breather in at the shock that happened, the feelings. Like I just couldn't wrap my brain around what would lead somebody to, to commit suicide. And for me, I was really sad when my sister Karen died of cancer. And I remember thinking at that point, God, she suffered through cancer. She went through chemo and radiation. It would have been easier had she just died quick. I kind of remember thinking those thoughts because I had seen her in so much pain and really was suffering but trying to stay alive for herself and for us. But then when I was gifted, if you call that, I do think it's a gift, that I was gifted with the knowledge of understanding losing somebody to suicide where it was sudden and a shock I realized like, no, oh my God, like it was just a, such a shock. You can't ever prepare for somebody dying immediately like that. And even when Karen had cancer, I couldn't prepare. So for me, I got the both sides of the coin. One where you know that death is coming, but very unexpected. My sister was 33 at that time. And then the immediate shock of suicide. Both have their own grieving process. Both were equally very shocking. But I learned so much through that. And it is just so important for me. First of all, I will talk more about it. But it was just so important that it is really important for me to share the importance of understanding grief and the importance of we as a society are grievers. We all face loss. And it's so important that we just share our stories so that we can connect because this is such a taboo subject in America that we just can't go on. And there's so many studies around the impact of loss and grief that it's just so important. But that is ultimately how I became a grief coach because I had this personal loss, two sides, and I really thought it was important that I start sharing about it because I just... I felt so empty and I realized that there's a need to help people process their own loss too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I always tell everyone that my definition of greatness and success is one and the same. And that is turning your pain into your purpose. And that's exactly what you're doing. And it's, it's been, as your friend, it's been really beautiful to see you go on this journey and to, you know, to start this, I know it doesn't feel like a business to you because it is your mission. It's your purpose in life. But to be able to witness you turning around and helping others, you know, work through their own grief, it's been really beautiful. But you just made a comment and it sparked a question in my mind that I haven't thought about in a long time. 
And that is the difference between losing someone suddenly, be it suicide, a car accident, or sudden heart attack or stroke, you know, where it's unexpected versus a death where, you know, like with cancer, where you know it's coming and you have time, supposedly, to prepare yourself and to be able to have those last final words with your loved ones. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between the two? And does it really help us, those of us still living on earth that are left behind, does it really help us or benefit us in a way to be able to have those last words and have that time of preparation? It's an interesting question as far as understanding, can you prepare? And I have found myself, I found a beautiful definition of grief when I was in the, I call it my depression stage post my sister is dying, where I was really confused by the word grief. And I was confused by it because I felt that it had to be a certain way that you process in a certain way that you heal based on what I had seen and heard. And I I was just very confused because I was not feeling any of the definitions that I was reading. And the definition I found that I, I loved that was really crystallized for me what grief meant was grief is the unresolved communication that you have shared with or did not share with a loved one. And so for me, I did realize that in my situation with my sister, Karen, my grief was very different because I was very lucky and that I did get to say goodbye. And because I got to say goodbye, I really did accept that when I accepted that she was going to pass and I have family members that did not accept that, just couldn't even believe it, even though physically it was evident, even though the doctor said there is no more we can do. I saw family members that just could not bring themselves to accept that for themselves. So in my situation, I accepted that and I was able to really share stories with my sister and tell her who she was for me, who she still is. But I shared that and there was no unresolved communication with her. And so the grief I felt with her was more of the nostalgic of the life we weren't going to have together, meaning my sister was very funny and she always knew how to lighten up a party, just really bring joy to our family. And so I miss that forward looking aspect. So that was like the preparation piece. But there's this misconception that you can prepare and not have grief. And I think that would be a little silly to think that because grief is also a reflection of how much you love somebody. And if you love somebody, you're also naturally going to have these other negative side of the loss, the sadness, the anger. It's inevitable because of how much you love a loved one. And so with suicide, I did not tell her goodbye. I did not tell her what she meant to me. And so I had a lot more emotions affiliated with that because there was no preparation. There was no goodbye. My grief there was more in the anger and the sadness because I just could not understand what drives somebody to do that. Now, I recognize now that there's probably a little bit more of just knowing and working with other people that have had loss that my sister most likely committed suicide out of herself being extremely depressed and not knowing how to manage her own psychic and emotion. And there might've been some mental health there as well. And so I've had to learn through my grieving process that her depression was her depression, not necessarily her depression was to get at me or my family members. And that's probably what drove her to commit suicide. But regardless, there is a difference that doesn't mean that 
when you can share and close out the communication or at least say those last parting words, that doesn't mean that you don't avoid grief either, which can be hard for people to accept, but that doesn't mean that it has to, grief has to be a horrible thing either. And that's another misconception as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, death is part of life and we all face the death of a loved one at some point, but I believe that how we handle our own grief is key. It's not really something you can always prepare for or study up on in in time, you know, for for you to use it. But, you know, although saddened, we can handle grief in healthy ways. And then for other people, grief can be really crippling. So why is it that some people handle grief really well and others spiral into this really unhealthy place where grief takes over and becomes debilitating? Yeah, the biggest thing I've seen between working with individuals really comes down to a few factors. The main thing I've seen with grief as a crippling versus a grief as a springboard, which is I really help individuals springboard into their magic, which is exactly what you were sharing earlier of turning your pain into purpose. From the crippling side, the biggest thing I've seen is a sheer avoidance to acknowledge what the truth is or the reality, which is my loved one has passed. So there's an avoidance with the circumstance of what has happened. Then there is an avoidance of the emotions that are coming. And again, it's natural to feel sad. It is natural to feel anger. It's natural to feel what we society call these quote unquote negative emotions. That is natural because of the love we have for our loved one. However, there is just such a taboo also as a society to even allow ourselves permission to feel those emotions that we don't go there. And that's what starts to spiral into depression and sadness. And so when I say the individual doesn't accept the circumstance of the loss, the way I've seen that come through is when the story is around, I don't understand why they died, right? So it's not that they're denying the person dying. It's the, they still can't accept that that has actually happened, even though they're saying, I know they died. I don't understand why they died. I don't understand why they died. If we would have caught the cancer, they would still be here. If, you know, so there's this, all these hypothetical situations around changing the outcome, but the outcome is still the same, which is unfortunately the loved one has passed. And so that's the first way I see the avoidance. And then there's a second of, I don't have time to feel this way. I just need to power through. I need to be strong for my loved ones. I need to be strong for my family. Now is not the time. I don't have time to cry or crying is a sign of weakness, right? All these stories we have around negative emotions and the way I see what happens is unfortunately it takes a physical tool on the body. That's what spurs the anxiety attacks. That's what spurs all the depression and sadness and the the gloomy days. And so really it comes down to that avoidance. And on the flip side, when I see somebody that really does take the strides to recover, they understand that their loved one has died. They start to think of, well, how could I honor my loved one? What would my loved one want me to do? And come from a place of empowerment versus from a place of denial. When I work with individuals, we really do work on what, how do you write your story in a way that serves you, not denying what happened, not ignoring your emotions, and certainly not pretending that your loved one hasn't died, but 
empowering you in a way that serves you while still honoring your feelings and honoring your loved one. And that's really the two different things I've seen. Mm, Beautiful, beautiful. You know, I help married couples around the world and occasionally I'll work with a couple where they've lost a child or they recently lost a best friend or a sibling. How can one spouse support their partner you know, when their partner experiences, not, not talking about their own children, let's say it's a sibling or a parent or a friend. How can a spouse support their partner when they experience loss? I also get this on what is the right thing to say? What, how can I help somebody that I can see as suffering, but I can't do anything? And so a lot of times what I've seen is, let's say it's a a couple and it is a sibling, definitely a parent. The spouse will look at that situation and say, well, it was kind of expected, right? So why are you still sad? And even a pet, it can be a, you know, a pet is such an extended part of the family that that really can impact a loved one. And really from a support standpoint is not to try to fix it by saying the things that you think will make them feel better, such as, well, at least you can get another dog or, (laughs) you know, like even me saying that doesn't even sound heartfelt. (laughs) It's, it's more like, or, you know, or, or there's other examples where I've heard couples say, well, you had time with your mom, your dad, it was time. Mm-hmm. Like, At least you had the chance to say goodbye, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the examples really are coming from a place of logical thinking. And so a really great way to support a loved one is from a place of your heart, which is if I am to put myself in my spouse's situation, no, I cannot understand necessarily what they're feeling, but from my my heart standpoint, how would it feel if I lost my mom or my dad, whoever that personal loved strong relationship means to me? Like, how would I feel? And nine times out of 10, you're going to feel crappy about it. And so that's okay because then you come from a place of heart and come in your heart and you're compassionate and empathetic and say, "I, I cannot possibly imagine what you're going through. I know I can only imagine it sucks. I can only imagine it was it's hard, you know, and really share from your heart led how to support versus from thinking to try to fix them to make them try to feel better. And so really it's not the right or wrong words to say. It's more of are you trying to answer or make them feel better through your brain logically, which Truthfully, as humans, we need love and connection. And that really comes from a place of the heart, not necessarily from the mind. So really supporting from your heart. In my 44 years, I've kind of come to the conclusion that when I don't know what to say to someone, instead of trying to make something up that seems right or seems loving or that would be comforting to them, to just flat out walk up and say, I have no idea what to say to you right now. I cannot even imagine. I'm just, I'm so sorry. Absolutely. And just give them a hug. (laughs) Exactly. And how how much more connected and compassionate on the receiving side versus somebody tells you like, well, at least you can get another dog or at least you told them goodbye. You're like, I still feel like shit. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I I had individuals tell me at my sister's funeral the same thing. You know, only God knows why this happens, et cetera. And I'm very spiritual and faithful and 
and for me, I was just like, okay, <laughs> I still feel crappy, but I had the best response I had until this day. I still think it's one of the best was and one of my best friend came to me and just said, fuck the shit blows. <laughs> and I just started to laugh just the way I am now because it, it was somebody that really spoke from their heart, shared just in those simple words shared that they knew they couldn't understand, but they also understood that if this was happening to them, it would really, really suck. And I just appreciated that genuineness versus the trying to make me feel better and not saying the right thing. Yeah, because no matter, I mean, most people, when they come at you with, you know, well, at least you could say goodbye or they lived a long, wonderful, beautiful life, or yeah, you can get another dog. Just wait like six months, get another dog. You know, it, instead of instead of hearing stuff, you know that people have the best intentions. You know, they really do mean well. You know, and I'm guilty of this. You know, I, I mean well, but then the dumbest things come out of my mouth sometimes. <laughs> so I've just learned to say, you know, I, I don't even know what to say to you right now. Exactly. I'm, you know, here's, here's a hug. Just know that I love you if there's anything I can do. But it is the goodness of our hearts that makes us want to say the perfect thing that will be comforting, you know, but I've learned I can get myself in trouble. So I just have to be really careful. And <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. And I'm glad you're bringing that up because that's actually something I do also work with clients on is there'll be that common complaint, like XYZ said something and I hate them for that. And there is that understanding of, is it possible they really just wanted to make you feel better, et cetera, et cetera. Also understanding that there's a society dynamics where we're supposed to have all the answers, have the right answer, get things done fast. You know, the youngest person in the room wins that the whole go, go, go make millions of dollars mindset does not allow any room for grief and emotions, especially negative emotions. And so there's a need to open up the conversation from both anyone that knows somebody that's face loss and equally somebody that's face loss to share what it re- what that person is really going through. So it just takes vulnerability on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. How about parents who have suffered the loss of a child, be it miscarriage or a stillbirth or even a child, say, who's 11, 12 years old in an accident. How can parents together, because I'm sure you're aware of this, but the statistic shows that the divorce rate for parents who have lost a child of any age is very, very high. And my understanding is the reason why is because when the parents look at each other, they're reminded of what they created in that child. And it's so painful that they can't even bear to look at each other at times. And I think that's that's one of the biggest reasons. Of course, there's several other reasons that come down to the differences in how parents cope with their own grief and depression and loss of their child. So there's a lot of things that play in. But let's touch on that for a minute. So what do you recommend to parents who are suffering the loss of a child? How can they make it through so that their marriage stays intact, their connection is still beautiful, they honor the life of the child that they did have, but they they as a couple don't spiral out of control. Yeah, I, I think it starts first with, for the individual parent going through that loss, which I've spoken actually to my mom extensively about this because, you know, she's lost two of my sisters and I've asked her, like, what, what do you say to somebody that's lost a child? 
And one of the things that's very important just from anybody, not even if you're a parent, but just anybody that's face loss is just giving yourself permission to acknowledge where you are with your loss. And that again comes down to what are the feelings you're going through? So that's the first piece. And what happens in relationships is what I've seen is there's this, and you probably know more and can speak to it, but there's this unsaid expectations that the other couple should know what the other person is feeling. And if I, as wife or mom, have not even gotten clear on what I am going through and therefore cannot express and share and communicate to my spouse what I'm feeling, then you're already having a, one, I have me as the mom and going through so much emotions, plus adding in the complexity of expecting my husband to know. And so when you have that complexity from both sides, it's really comes down to this lack of communication and clarity and openness of what is really going on. So the first thing is really becoming open and honest with yourself. What am I really feeling? What am I really going through? And recognizing that if you need support and help for yourself, the one thing I see a lot with grievers is so much expectations on how to grieve and not to grieve, which is kind of silly if you just take a different lens of everything in life, we learn it. So to expect to somehow know how to inherently grieve properly or what is the best solution for me on how to grieve and process, it doesn't really make sense, honestly. Like we learn to actually do math. We learn to actually read and write as a species. So to somehow think we should know how to grieve and what I, as the griever, need it doesn't just doesn't support that notion that as a species, we actually learn everything along the way. And so for couples, it's super important. Get very clear on what you're feeling, what you're going through. Give yourself permission. Know that what you're going through is not something easy. Know it is not quite normal that you lose somebody and then all of a sudden you should pretend nothing happened or move forward or all of a sudden just say, I will have another child, right? Like all those things. No, it's super important to be very clear with yourself, be honest, and then also share that with your spouse and then ask, what do you need? But vice versa, be ready to also get what your spouse might need. And every person grieves differently too. So recognizing in a couple, especially in a marriage, every couple is going to grieve differently. The individual will grieve differently and the couple will grieve differently. But embracing the grief is important, sharing it and being open. Yeah, just supporting and encouraging one another instead of, I mean, I've actually witnessed people tell their spouse, you know, you shouldn't cry like that. It's not healthy. You shouldn't feel like that. It's not healthy. You need to force yourself to pick up and move on because the way you're living right now isn't healthy. And, you know, I think to tell people that the way that they're grieving, especially if if this is not a trained professional, you know, they have no right to tell someone else how they should feel or how they should handle it. I think that if you have a spouse who is crippled with grief and depression over the loss of someone in life, you have no right to tell them how they should handle this. You know, reach out to someone like yourself who is a professional who can guide you through and help you know how to handle this spouse who seems to be in a really bad place. You know, how can you support and encourage them? And love your answers. Love them. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's (laughs) there's misconceptions surrounding every topic and every subject in the world. Tell us what the biggest misconceptions of grief are that you've come across. 
Yes, there are so many misconceptions. And I and I really share this from the standpoint of a griever. I was mentioning earlier that in the beginning, when my I lost my sister to cancer, I didn't really know, and I was confused by the word grief because I didn't really know what it meant. And then I had loosely heard that there were stages and there was ways to heal and all that. So I found I found it all very confusing and I just found myself judging myself for how I was handling grief or not handling grief. But some of the biggest misconceptions I found is that grief has stages. So there's awareness around anger, denial, sadness, and the other stages. And really those stages are stages from somebody that is really going through their own healing and processing. But for grief itself, yes, there's common themes that you will feel. You will certainly feel angry. You will certainly feel sad. You will certainly be in denial, feel the shock. But to say that it is linear and sequential order is is just not true. I've seen individuals live in a very long state of shock and then bounce back pretty quickly or individuals that can be very, very angry. I had so much anger when my sister committed suicide, so much anger at a level that I didn't know I could be so angry. But that doesn't mean that when my other sister had cancer, that I was as angry. So that was what was so interesting to me to see that. And so this, this idea that you're grieving in stages is really, it's not one true, and it's not healthy to then benchmark yourself against where you should and shouldn't be in those stages. So that's the first thing. Another misconception, very nicely willed intention individuals will say, well, just give it some time, you'll feel better. And the idea that time will heal you has been a little bit misconstrued because I think people here give it time or it'll get better with time. It's not about the time. It's really about what do you decide to do with your time. It's about deciding to be real with yourself about the grief. It's about deciding that you either want to move forward or you want to seek help. All these different things that really does allow somebody to heal and recover from grief. But to sit and expect that time will magically resolve grief for you is a nuance that is definitely a misconception. So sitting around in a dark apartment is not healthy. <laughs> and so that's what a lot of individuals will do is expect the time to somehow magically do the work. And it's not the time, it's what you do with the time. Also just staying busy. In my situation, I did not have time for grief. <laughs> so I just remember that I would go to work more and get sign up for a lot of things and just Anything to avoid thinking about the losses. That's the way I think about staying busy. Anything to avoid thinking about it because the idea of feeling remotely sad <laughs> or feeling anger, I, it just wasn't allowed. Because again, I had subscribed to the society ideas that, hey, you shouldn't feel this way. So for me, uh, staying busy was really a numbing mechanism. So other individuals might drink, others might turn to drug abuse. I've, I've been very fortunate, never had those issues, but my numbing mechanism became staying busy. So just being aware of, are you staying busy for your sanity or are you staying busy to avoid? And there is a difference there too. Yeah. Let's talk about that for just a second, because yeah. I realized that, you know, whatever you're depressed about, but especially grief and, and loss of a loved one, keeping busy can actually be a positive thing. So like you said, not sitting around in your home in the dark for six months, obviously 
not the healthiest way. But at the same time, on the flip side, using it as a numbing medication where you're constantly staying busy to avoid the process that you need to go through is also very unhealthy too. So where is that fine line? Like how much numbing mechanism is good versus, you know, versus an amount that's actually going to hinder you from diving into this process that you actually need to go through? Yeah. And it really comes down to how are you feeling after this quote unquote busyness? Is it, are you running around even unpresent and unconsciously unaware of what is in your surrounding kind of the way it's very common to drive somewhere and realize you don't know what just happened, but you got there and you're like pretty shocked. Like, how did I just get here? I don't even know. Like you become so busy that that's an indication of, is it numbing or is it truly something good? And so for me, I used to work a lot, like sign up for a lot of things that really weren't giving me any healthy outlets. On the flip side, I would volunteer and I always felt great afterwards. Truly just would recall looking back and thinking, I am so fortunate. I am so blessed. I get to volunteer. And I would volunteer particularly with feeding the homeless. And I would feel just an immense gratitude towards having a home and having food. And then I would feel so grateful for the individuals that would share their stories with me. So that's where I knew I wasn't just being busy to numb, but it was just gave me a way to connect. So if it allows you to connect, it allows you to feel good about yourself in a healthy way, not in a way that you, I've never gone look back a day later and said, God, I really shouldn't have done that. The way you can do that with watching Netflix or drinking a bottle of wine. (laughs) You know, those are some of your indicators of who am I being busy for and what for? That's where you can start to distinguish whether it's a healthy staying busy or a non-productive staying busy. Okay. Gotcha. Well, thank you for clarifying. Cause I know, yeah. I know it's, you know, one bottle of vodka later is probably not the best coping mechanism, but yeah. Okay. So just to recap so far, the misconceptions surrounding grief that you see are that there's a definite set number of stages that people go through in a specific order that time heals and that you should stay busy. Those are the top three. Are there others? Yeah, definitely. Uh, And these are just three more that I I see revolve a lot based on the conversations I've had with clients is one is to stay strong. And this is for the individual similar to staying busy, the one that has probably always been the head of the household, the one that's probably leading groups and different work events, those type of things. If you have to be strong, meaning I have to be strong in front of my kids, those type of situations, at least find, really give yourself permission to find a healthy outlet out there, whether it's through a coach or through bereavement groups or different outlets to just share where you're feeling. So staying strong is one. And then (laughs) this one just kind of cracks me up when I I read some of and talk to individuals. Um, where it's like, I should be feeling better. Again, it's this judgment. And it really is this society idea around how you should and shouldn't feel, what are good emotions and not good emotions, but I should be feeling better already. And, and I'll ask like, well, how long has it been? Not that there is a definite time period, but there's just this idea that somehow in overnight you will get better is just really interesting to me. But I've just truly have heard somebody say, it's been three weeks. And I'm like, Exactly. It's been three weeks. Why would you, how could you, this is your significant partner for so many years. Why, you know, 
it, there's this there's this irrational self judgment on when you should feel better, and then just lastly, expecting that you get over it. I don't think you ever really get over grief. It's the relationship you build with your grief, and the best way I can explain this is it's similar to love. You don't ever go into a relationship or love a family member with expectations of when you do and don't love somebody. You don't join or you know a partnership and say I I'm, I love this person and then 10 years later say I love them well I, I checked that box I loved them for 10 years right I mean perhaps you might see that but but I just it doesn't really logically make sense to have on love at least you wouldn't have that expectation that you get over love or you stop loving even though obviously it, that happens for various reasons but you'd never enter into a relationship with any of those expectations and similarly grief is a reflection of how much you love somebody so to get over grief is not necessarily true in spite of being very happy and loving my life I certainly have my moments, but I don't beat myself up about it because I know that it's part of grief and I'm just grieving how much I miss my loved ones. I'm grieving how much I miss my sisters. And and I give myself full permission to have that. I still, to this day, their anniversaries of their passing will still be a really tough day for me. And I, I embrace it. I take my day off. I don't work with anybody. And if I wake up and want to go to the gym or go get a massage or relax, and sometimes I just have a really good cry and I feel great. And so my relationship is very healthy, but I don't beat myself up and say, oh my God, it's been XYZ six years. I'm still crying. Like, of course, I, I think I will always cry. And I, I am certainly not ashamed of that either. Yeah, I've heard people use terminology like, well, one day you'll heal and be able to move on. And I think if it's a person, a sibling, your significant other, a best friend, if it's someone really close to you, I don't, I don't think it's a matter of healing and moving on. It's not like you move on from them, especially if it's a child. You know, it's, it's more like, yes, you begin to heal from the extreme pain and the disappointment of not being able to share your life with this person. But instead of moving on, I think it's more, the way I look at it is more, you're learning to live a new life without this person, you know, exactly. and you can reach a very fulfilled, joyful, happy life without the person that you lost, but it is going to take you a little bit of time to navigate those waters and learn how. Exactly. Exactly. And learning how is the big one. And there are, there are truly healthy ways to do that. And what you were sharing earlier, I love what you said about taking pain to live your purpose. I truly feel in the greater of my spirit and soul that this loss is what has allowed me to live a very fulfilling life. And I'm very honored that I have been able to springboard into living a very purpose-driven life. And what's funny is that I actually feel my sisters are very alive with me, if that makes sense. I, I will see flowers, I will see butterflies, and I just have this warm feeling that they are here with me and just cheering me on. And so this is why I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing because of just the warmth and how close I feel them. I truly feel them close with me every single day. And there isn't a single day I go that goes on without me thinking about them. And, and I feel very grateful for that. I really do. Hmm, you give me goosebumps. I think that's so beautiful <laughs> because I think the way that I, you know, just my time with you in person and hearing you talk about these things, I almost get the feeling that both of your sisters 
yes, they are with you on this journey and they're right there beside you, cheering you on, loving you and supporting you as you are loving and supporting those who are grieving. And it's just a way to pay forward that love and that connection. And I think that's really beautiful. Earlier, you you mentioned some negative, some other negative emotions that typically accompany grief and loss. What are those common negative emotions? Yes. And these are the negative emotions that are very typical. And also I have found are avoiding mechanisms or where individuals really don't want to go into these. Anger is certainly a big one. Certainly in suicide areas, anger is very prevalent. And when you have the upbringing of you never get angry. You hold yourself in, stay calm and composed. Anger is never allowed, right? So anger tends to be avoided. Sadness, just always be happy, right? There's so much PR and media around happy and being happy. And I always feel that the individuals that brag about how happy they are, and like the fact that you have to brag that you're happy tells me you're probably not happy, right? Because when somebody's happy, you generally feel it. You don't want, nobody has to convince you you're happy. You just feel it. That's an energy that's contagious and, and you exactly. pick it up and you feel it and you see it. Yeah. You don't have to hear it. Yeah, exactly. So there's, so there's anger, sadness, denial, hatred. And, you know, I actually was very angry, borderline, like hated my sister, but hated her from a standpoint of like, I'm really mad at you for killing yourself. Like I am generally mad. And I had this, and it took me a, a while to recognize that I was generally angry at her because I, first I was not supposed to be angry at a dead person. Right. And then mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to like even if she would have been alive, I probably wouldn't have told her I was angry. Especially someone who logically, you know, was very unhappy. Exactly. How can you be mad at some, I mean, I, I can see how that's a logical thought. How can I be mad at this person who was suffering so greatly that she took her own life? Yet you are, you're angry, you're pissed off. And then there's a host of other negative emotions like guilt and shame that come with that. It seems like it's a snowball, but yeah, tell us, tell us about all of that. Exactly. So guilt and shame are the other ones too. So going back to my sister, I was really like really hating her for killing herself and then having that guilt for being angry at her and hating her. There's all these, this is like complexity and I like to call it the jungle gym of emotions. All these complexity of emotions happening at one time where you're bouncing from each one one, not even allowing yourself to get there. So there's just this avoidance piece. It's important to really recognize the emotion because the avoidance is really what starts to manifest into the deeper depressions in which, which an individual can find themselves in. And then they're kind of just in this rut, right? So understanding what the emotion is. The other thing I have found, and I think it's really interesting, is there's almost this fear that if I feel this emotion, I will be stuck more of... I don't want to be depressed. I really don't want to be angry. I don't want to be sad. I don't have time for it. Even if I even go through that emotion, I will get stuck. And then what? And so there's two pieces of the emotion in itself and even giving yourself permission to do that. So I realized how big this was when I had an anxiety attack. I had an anxiety attack at work. Again, I was corporate career. I had a major presentation truly was going to speak to the board of directors about something important. And I had been working on this project for a good number. It it had been a few months 
And it was supposed to be a, like, here are the findings, et cetera. And it was this recommendation. Any other situation before death and loss, it would have been fine. But I truly had an anxiety attack 10 minutes before I was supposed to go in. And I could not understand what was happening to me. My brain was telling me, you're having an anxiety attack. My body was hyperventilating and I couldn't breathe. And I was feeling like I was going to black out. So it was like borderline anxiety attack, like breathing, trying to catch my breath and my brain saying, you're having an anxiety attack. And then this other brain part saying, oh my God, what is going on? You cannot have an anxiety attack. You have this meeting to go into. And I actually just lowered myself onto the ground in my cubicle and like slowly started breathing. And, and then I got water and started drinking the water and I eased into it. But that really, really shook me. And I think that that anxiety attack in a way actually was a gift because it's what really shook me of, hey, this is real. I cannot live my life being attacked by anxiety attacks. I need to understand what's going on. And at that point, I was at least self-aware to know that I had been avoiding everything. So I knew at that point I needed help. And that's really what spurred my spiritual and personal development because I just didn't want to live that way. I wanted to move forward. Of course, I had these misconceptions and all of what I've learned is really now what I bring to all the clients that I work with. Mm. But it started with that. And so processing emotions is one of the key things that's very important that I work with individuals on. Yeah, that makes so much sense to me because two years ago, I started becoming really ill. And last summer, it all came to a head where I lost my house. I lost everything inside my home. I lost my health to black mold. My house had a really bad black mold problem. And this was the second time, second house and second experience for me with black mold. And so the second time going through, I knew what I was facing and I knew that it was ugly and I knew that it was going to be difficult and I knew that I was near death. And there's a host of emotions, but I built this house and put so much effort and energy and love into building this home in such a way that we would not have another mold problem ever again. You know, I, I took every precaution and here I was staring it in the face. And this is the only home that I've ever become attached to. I don't, I don't get attached to material items or objects or homes or anything like that. And, but yet this, this home, that it was it for me. You know, I finally understood so many people saying, all of our memories are in this home and, and this house is really special to me. I've never understood it until, until last summer with this house. And, and I was really experiencing grief over the loss of my home, everything in it, all the love that I had poured into it. And then of course my health, you know? And yeah. so I realized for the sake of my health, <laughs> I had to snap out of this pretty quickly. So I don't know where this idea came from, but I just made the decision one day while I was crying and having a fit. I thought, all right, I'm going to allow myself three days to cry and to grieve the loss of my house, everything in it, and to grieve the loss of my health. And after those three days of grieving, I'm going to rise up and I'm going to move forward. And that's exactly what I did. And, and I think for me, it was just stopping and exactly what you just said. You just have to stop and deal with those emotions, allow yourself to experience them, allow yourself to go there. But, you know, I've done a lot of research since then and have learned that for some people, not all, and I would love your opinion on this, but for some people, it actually helps to put a time frame on it, maybe not necessarily with the loss of a loved one, 
But if it's the loss of a job or, you know, something smaller, the loss of a job or the loss of an opportunity to say, all right, I'm going to give myself X amount of hours or X amount of days or weeks to grieve this loss. And then I'm going to rise up and I'm going to take action and I'm going to go in to live my life in a really beautiful, healthy way. It worked for me. You know, it wasn't the loss of a human being, but it was a great loss for me. It was actual grieving on my part. What do you feel about attaching, maybe not necessarily to the loss of a loved one, a death, but what do you feel about other losses? Like, you know, job or, or opportunity loss. What do you think about attaching a specific time period to say, okay, I'm going to allow myself this amount of time to grieve, and then I'm going to rise up and be happy? Well, first of all, thank you for sharing everything. And I love how you just stopped and gave yourself three days because you, I'm sure prior you would have just kept going and then something else would have come up and something else would have come up. So that's amazing that you gave yourself permission to do that. I don't think there's anything bad with giving yourself a time frame to process. So similar to what I shared with my sisters on their anniversary, that's a time frame I give myself. Like I give myself that day to grieve because I know I need to, I know that it always comes up. And so there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a very, it's actually a very healthy way to allow yourself to grieve. I think it's when you expect that by three years, I will no longer have emotions about it. You're always going to have emotions. It's just recognizing that when the emotion comes, you do give yourself the time and the space to process that emotion. And that can have a time frame. One of uh, the individuals I've worked with that I really love what she did, she had stage three cancer. And every morning she would get up and scream at the top of her lungs, flick her fingers and say, a few cancer. And she just said she gave herself three minutes to do that. I think it was two to three minutes, but she did that every day through the entire process. What a beautiful way to process that anger she was feeling towards the cancer. And then she said that when she would release it, she would then just go on, think positive, you know, say this isn't in my body. She practiced a lot of positive thinking. She would go to the treatments and sure they, they knocked her out. Obviously anybody that's gone through chemo knows it's very tough on your body, but she still didn't, she didn't deny that she had cancer. She didn't give it in a way more unwanted attention, but she had such a healthy outlet on how to process. And she did that for three years and she beat cancer. And so it was just, you know, because that was one of the things I immediately want to know, like, what do you think it is that allowed you to beat cancer? You know, because I get really fascinated with that question as well. And I just love that. I really think something that differentiated for her is that she honored what she was going through and what she was feeling. And one of it was through that healthy way of just screaming at the top of her lungs, flicking off <laughs> at cancer. And, and, you know, she didn't have to go, you know, take it out on anybody, but she gave it herself that space. And that's a beautiful time frame to do that. That's a really interesting and, and beautiful topic that you just touched on. And that is grief of self, of, of loss of health, because I've lived that and you do grieve and it, it can be a very dark and very deep grief that you feel when you realize that you have lost your health. And for me, the black mold toxicity weakened my immune system to the point I wasn't healthy in many ways. And I had six out of seven specialists across the nation tell me that I had cancer. My cancer cell count was to quote them off the charts. 
and this was, you know, this was just last year. And, you know, they were all yelling at me, go to oncology, get a hysterectomy, do this, do that. And I really had to quiet myself, center myself, listen to my body, listen to my subconscious, listen to my spirit speaking. And I realized that I wanted to fight this holistically and not do chemo, not do radiation, not do surgery. And so what I did is, you know, anytime I would think about it, anytime someone would say something to me, I never used the C word. I I called it the C word. I would never even acknowledge that it was there. What I would do is I would say, I have too many unhealthy cells in my body right now that need to be detoxified and eliminated, and I'm going to fight this and I'm going to win. That's how I got through it. I never said the C word. And when doctors, you know, looked at me and said, you have cancer, I wouldn't argue with them. But in my head, I would say, no, I don't. I refuse to have that. I'm not, I'm not going there, (laughs) you know? And I realized not everyone is that lucky. Not everyone is blessed enough to be able to, you know, to be able to fight it the way in which I did. There, there are times where you have to go into oncology for chemo and radiation, but you know, it is difficult to grieve the loss of your health and all of the fear that comes along with that. And then the shame and the embarrassment. And there's, there's a lot of negative emotions that goes along with that. But back to talking about grief in general, whether it's loss of a loved one or a pet or your own health or loss of opportunity, once a person gets to the place of extreme grief, where it is crippling, it is debilitating, it, it has taken over their lives, they're not in a good place, what helps, what helps a person bounce back from that? Actually, and I was going to say on your example of your loss of your health, what really struck me in that example and your loss is that you decided for yourself what it would mean to you. And there's that part of responsibility. And I think even when I look at who is able to bounce back or versus who gets stuck is really deciding what to make out of this and deciding if this is either good or I'm going to make the new meaning, just making that responsibility, that responsible choice for yourself. And that decision is by far the most important thing that I've seen somebody that bounces back, somebody that says, I'm going to figure out grief. I'm going to figure out what I do with my life. What, what now? And I think for me, you know, when I think about my anxiety attack, that really was scary. It's, it was so scary, but I realize now that the gift that it gave me is that I, decided I was going to get very curious about my grief. I was going to become responsible for my life. And I couldn't change what had happened, meaning I couldn't change that my sisters had passed, but I could change how I decided to respond. So for the audience, you know, sometimes I hear like, well, XYZ happened. I can't make that choice. I actually do think you can make a choice. You can't change the circumstances, but you can absolutely change how you respond to the circumstances. And I've always been just so amazed by individuals that that decide they're going to make something out of their circumstance. I've always been inspired by that. And I think that is what can be very beautiful about grief is that it can really empower you into doing something majestic, something magical, and really live a fulfilling life. And all of what I do today came out of me deciding that I was going to define what the loss meant. I was going to decide what the grief meant. It wasn't because somebody told me I had to become a grief coach. It's just because I decided that I had to do something with my loss. And truthfully, I also realized there was such a huge need. Like 
I just couldn't believe that I felt so isolated. And in a society where we have access and resources, I just I couldn't believe that so much of this topic is was so taboo that we couldn't even talk about negative emotions. And so for me, really bouncing back is deciding for yourself what you want your life to be, what do you want it to mean, and what you get to do with it. So it's not necessarily eliminating grief out of your life as much as it is learning how to have control over it instead of it controlling you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. big decision. Not always easy, I know. Definitely not easy. It certainly takes practice, but then that's the beauty that there's resources, there's help, there's support, right? And and by no means, that kind of goes back to my original statement at the beginning is to expect that you should somehow know to, how to manage grief is a little bit unrealistic and <laughs> as a species where we learn everything along our way. Yeah, yeah. Well, Diana, I really am sorry for the loss of both of your sisters, but I am happy for the place that you're in today and the work that you're doing is just really beautiful. I cannot imagine what it was like for you to suffer the loss of both of them, especially so close together. So tell me what that experience of losing both sisters, especially so close together in time, what did the grief that you experienced from that, what did it teach you? Yeah, it it certainly was the worst thing in my life for me personally. They were just my best friends. They are my best friends. And to lose somebody that was so close in my life, it was the worst thing that ever could have happened to me. It was beyond devastating. But in, in spite of all of that, I just, I look back and just think of how far I've come along. And I'm so grateful for how far I've come along. I'm so grateful for grief because what grief has given me is really the opportunity to one embrace it embrace this emotion which i think really does need a voice it really needs a space to open and share these emotions it's enabled me to create community because again this is such a taboo topic it's just so important that we really open up ourselves to what we're feeling and and share with each other because to pretend that we have it all perfect and right is just really misguided and misleading and that's not what we should be doing as a society but what it's also taught me is just really the greatest thing it taught me is really how anybody including myself for me personally how you can take the energy and the strength of something so powerful, such as grief, take that energy and really springboard into the magic of your life. I just cannot have imagined where I would have been. Just thinking of like the days that I remember finding out when my sister passed and committed suicide, I just remember thinking I'll never get out of this. But I also had this thought of, I have to make something of this too. And I'm so grateful that grief taught me that because it has enabled me to be compassionate. I have empathy for individuals at ways I did not know. And I almost, this is just me like being so grateful for it. Is I love how I can have this genuine connection with individuals versus superficial connection on things that probably don't matter in life. And so I'm very grateful for that. I'm really grateful for the connections I have and the empowerment that the grief has given me. I just, I couldn't have imagined a life more fulfilling than what I have now. And it it continues to get fulfilling. It's amazing. My life is pretty magical. Hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's really empowered you because you've experienced the depth of grief, the way in which you have. 
it really allows you to connect with people who are, you know, in the depths of despair themselves because you know what it is they're going through. So you can speak that language and they hear it and they know it and they feel it and they know they can align themselves with you and trust you and open up to you to receive the help that they need to be able to do exactly what you've done. And, you know, that is to move into a life where you acknowledge the loss, you acknowledge the grief, you deal with it when it comes up. But then at the same time, you're able to live a very happy, joyful and fulfilled life as well. I really love the work that you're doing. Before we go, I have three rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Number one, what is your favorite book in the entire world? I love Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. He is a four-time Holocaust survivor. He has now passed on, but I think his story, his perspective on living through the Holocaust and surviving is impressionable. I just can't imagine. And I realized how beautiful my life was when I read his book, even after I had gone through all my losses. I just was so amazed by this beautiful story of Victor Frankl. Hmm. I have that book, but I haven't started reading it yet. So I'll have to dive in this week. Thank you. Second rapid fire question. What is your favorite way to show love to yourself? Ooh, it kind of goes in line to what I said about self-love and I realized there are two things I have always done since I was in middle school. And one is I would always change my nail polish out, which I know sounds crazy. It used to match all of my outfits. And so now I love to give myself permission to go get a manicure and just be pampered because it's a way to really honor myself and be pampered and receive that gift that somebody can provide for me. And I love just having nice looking nails. So that's one. And the other is obviously to get a facial. I love to also get pampered and I don't make any judgment about spending the money. It's an investment in myself. I feel great. And I never regret that small investment and that time I get to myself to just pamper myself and do some self-nourishment. Yeah. It's so good for your skin too. All right. Last question. What one action from human beings would you like to see more of in the world? Oh, more compassion. I feel that this is a society of fix it and providing solutions versus just being present with an individual, being present with what feelings and emotions they're going through. In my experience of grief, everybody wants to tell you those like feel good, fix it examples such as, oh, it's okay it was meant to be, or they're off better. And sometimes you just need some compassion and just to be present. And if that means giving somebody a hug or crying with them or holding their hand, that's okay. There, there isn't, it doesn't have to be a, it has to be done. You don't have to say the right things to fix it. It's more of just being present. And so that to me is compassion. Gosh, you've taught us so much today on loss and grief. So thank you. For those of you listening who find yourselves crippled with grief, tell those people how they can learn more from you and where they can find you if they want to contact you. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. It has been a joy. I love always connecting with you. First of all, if you're going through loss or grief, grief is not just the loss 
or the death of loved one. It's loss of a job, loss of marriage, loss of unfulfilled dreams. But certainly I am here and available for anybody that needs any help or support. And you can find me at grieveandlive.com. That's G-R-I-E-V-E and live.com. And I am Diana and I would just feel thrilled to find you or talk to you as well. Mm-hmm. International grief coach, Diana Hernandez. Thank you so much for being with us today on The Marriage Show. Thank you. What an incredible talk we've had today here. I absolutely adore Diana and all the work she's doing. I want to thank all of you listening for tuning in to The Marriage Show today. I really appreciate the time that you've taken to be with me and Diana today. If you love this episode as much as Diana and I loved making it, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a five-star review. That will allow us to inspire even more people together. And if there's someone in your life that would benefit from this episode and all of Diana's wisdom, please share it with them now. You can text it, screenshot it, or email them the link. Let's change lives together. Let's spread the love. And don't forget to tell me who you would like me to interview on the show. So find me on any of my social media accounts. There's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, but just find me and give me your suggestion. I really would love to hear from you. And for everything that Diana and I discussed on today's episode, you can check it all out in the show notes found at www.themarriageshow.com. And you can listen to all of my other episodes there as well. Until next time, love one another. (laughs) 